Welcome to Bruin Source. This is Ed. This is Kevin. And it is December 4th, and we're going bowling, I guess, I think. The, uh, just down the street at the LA Bowl. The right, the right beginning was it's December fourth, and Chip Kelly is still employed at UCLA. Well, <laughs> well, I was gonna, I was gonna get there eventually. I just, I feel like we're we're beating a dead yeah, horse at this order, point. Man. Reverse order, reverse it up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, lots happened in the last week uh, since we went on our diatribe against firing Chip Kelly, and what a dumpster fire we've become. And guess what? It feels like kerosene has been added to that dumpster fire, and the dumpster fire has expanded to, I don't know, like, we're just a giant garbage dump that is on fire now, and there there doesn't seem to be any end to sight. Um, it's just punch after punch after punch, and what I'm referring to is Danton Lin. Uh, Benedict Danton, <laughs> if you will. Yeah, no, I, I mean, that's fair, right? Benedict Benedict Danton um, has joined the other school. He's jumped over to Southern Cal uh, and has taken their defensive coordinator job after basically kicking their ass this year. And uh, here we are. No, well, no and, DC. And what day did we do this last week? I don't think Dante Moore was in the portal yet either. Oof. No. I don't think that so, we talked about Dante Moore being a prime candidate to be in the portal, but yes, this we did our last episode was pre Moore heading into the portal. So, yeah, that's just another domino to fall. Well, well, let's get there. How are we feeling about losing Lynn here? Because I have some thoughts, but let's let's hear your your side of things first. I mean, to just put them both together for a second. Um, you know, Martin Jarman came out this week and he spoke about the need for continuity and the need to have continued momentum within the coaching staff as we head into the Big Ten. Does momentum look like losing your defensive coordinator to your biggest rival and losing the once highest rated quarterback recruit ever to commit to UCLA in one off in, in like the span of a week? after it has been started to leak out that your your coach uh, is, is going to be retained. Does that feel like any sort of continuity or momentum that you want to be a part of? Oh, absolutely not. I know what the not. answer is. <laughs> there's, there's, no, there's no continuity here. The and, only and, continuity, and, so, and, and, and real quick, the only continuity here is the losing culture. That's, that's all we've and, got. And that, I think fundamentally sums up my thoughts on Danton Lynn. Uh, Benedict Danton, uh, he's, he's across town now. We hate him. We don't root for him anymore. And, you know, all, all that's there. Uh, but on a personal note, I mean, again, these, these are perceptive individuals we're talking about. He saw the dumpster fire that he was a part of. He was headed for unemployment next year because Chip Kelly's not going to last next, next season. This thing well, is going to be a train wreck. <laughs> Let's 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 caveat that because we said that last season also. Yeah, you're right, and I said it in 2021 too. So you're right. Uh, we shouldn't go there. I, I right. think there's an assumption that okay, next season's going to be complete dumpster fire. And that's going to be the final nail in the coffin for Chip Kelly, and we finally dump him. Then there'll be Big Ten money coming in. Blah blah blah. 
I am not as convinced as others, and this is maybe just, you know, battered balloon syndrome talking or the, the cynic in me talking, but I can't sit here and say, yes, 100%, if we win two games next season, we'll fire him, because with how our athletic department operates and has been operating, I could see us finding some sort of excuse to retain him another year. As sad as that sounds, like I not not gonna rule that out right now, which is insane because even Dan Guerrero never let let it get to something like this. I mean, he kept coaches far too long for sure. Um, didn't want to admit mistakes in the cases of you know Steve Alford and and Rick Neuheisel for a period until like, but the, but there was always an inflection point where it's like this is a shit show. It was fifty to nothing for Rick. It was losing a bunch of mid-major games for Alford, uh, and eventually they had to go. Um, that hasn't happened yet with Chip. And so, you know, to, to, to get back to, to Danton Lynn here, I mean, he's getting paid quite a pretty penny uh, and a housing stipend, $2 million and a housing stipend to go. Um, he's probably going to get a pretty hefty transfer recruiting budget. He knows the state of the roster. Um UCLA is going to be at a dearth for pass rushers and interior defensive linemen. And I think as you look at the transfer portal, in my opinion, the positions that are just absolutely the most in demand are the line of scrimmage on both sides. Because everyone thinks, oh, well, that's just that's the last piece and we got to go find it. Every big team thinks that. So pass rushers, interior defensive linemen, we're going to lose a lot. And are we going to be able to go in and, and get those those kind of players? All the same schools are going to be after, like, the, the 10 players that would actually help us, right? So Dan Tomlin sees all this, and, you know, he, he probably is making a judgment call that, hey, I could go do that across town and get paid $2 million while I'm doing it. Now, that said, he's taking a bit of a risk here, too, because we saw what that looked like at USC. Um, he was not their first choice at defensive coordinator. USC swung and missed in, in a few places. Uh Maybe that's because other candidates looked at that situation and thought that maybe isn't as stable as we think. Uh, and and Danton Lynn, it's you know, been reported again, NFL ties, not someone who loves to recruit. I don't know how much truth there is to all this stuff. I I don't I have no idea. Um, I know how UCLA recruits, and it, it's that we don't recruit. So, um, but that's been the case before Danton Lynn. It's been the case after Danton Lynn. Um, so for for Danton Lynn, he's uh, he's taking a chance that. I'm always going to have a good offense on the other side, and I'm going to have the ability to, to restock the shelves. And I know I'm not going to get – I hope I don't get fired the very next season. And, uh, you know, so from the, on a personal standpoint, you know, you, you understand it. Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't necessarily blame him for doing this uh, as much of it as it feels like a stab in the back, right? To be fair, Chip Kelly did take a little bit of a risk hiring him as a DC. He was you know, a fairly unknown coach in the NFL at the Ravens. Um, and, you know, Chip, to his credit, took a shot on him. He obviously did really well this season. And now he's getting paid, you know, triple, double, triple the amount that he's making at UCLA. Um, it sucks that he go he went across town. It does feel a little bit like a backstab. But at the end of the day, he gets paid a lot more. And regardless of what happens with Lincoln Riley, I, I think... Where there's smoke, there's fire. He probably has eyes on 
the NFL at some point if he can at least put together a competent defense for uh, the Trojans next season. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's only there for one year. But if he's here at UCLA for one year or at SC for one year, why not take the extra money? That's probably kind of his calculus there. So I don't blame him, but yes, I hate him now. And I hope their defense completely falls apart. And I hope it turns out that the only reason his defenses look so great this season were because guys like Latu and the Murphy twins kind of propping him up and uh, covering for his coaching uh, chops. But we'll we'll see. Where does that leave UCLA, though? I mean, we, we don't have a DC now. Uh, it doesn't sound like Chip is going to be able to get anybody hired before the bowl game. What are our realistic uh, ways forward here with the defensive coordinator? I mean, we've seen the history before Danton Lynn, and it was not a great history of def- defenses under Chip Kelly and uh, dubious coordinator hires under Chip Kelly. I feel like we're going to get a little bit more of the same here. Well, I mean, if you read the tea leaves with this stuff, and I'm not going to go into defensive coordinator candidates or names and stuff, right? But if you just read the tea leaves, um, the one of the big drivers behind keeping Chip Kelly is the fact that the athletic department is in debt. Uh, UCLA is going to be looking for a new chancellor. The Big Ten money doesn't come till next year, and no one wants to really shuffle the boat and ruffle the boat there when it comes to the the financial situation. So you'd have to think that you know we're we're probably running a poverty program here for the next year or so, um, which means we probably don't have a whole ton of money to go out and get a D- DC. Now, why is that? It's because our boosters, uh, we're not fundraising at the level that we could because our head coach has lost the faith of many big donors and boosters and such. Um, so I, one of two things happened there. Either the ones that are hoping for Chip Kelly to stick around and succeed, like Casey Wasser and such, pony up and pay up, um, or we're running a poverty program, which looks like the direction we're headed. And if that's going to be the case, uh, we're probably, I mean, and again, I'm not, I'm not even going to talk about the candidates' names and stuff, but we're probably headed for some older retread buddy of Chip's. That's usually the, the, the path that he has taken with this stuff. Um, Dan Tomlin was the exception. Now, can he go find another Dan Tomlin? I mean, he was an unknown quantity. So can he go back to the the Ravens coaching tree and um, find an assistant there? I mean, again, like the other school that I follow, they lost Mike, they lost Mike McDonald to, to the Ravens, and he's now the, the coordinator of the number one defense in the league. He's been great. Uh, and they Love went right back. Yeah, and and he and they went, but they went right back to that tree and found another one, and that's the defensive coordinator now, Jesse Mentor. Can can Chip do something like that? Go find another Ravens uh, attached coach somewhere? Um, I don't know. Let, I, at this point, uh, kind of is what it is. We have no choice but to trust Chip in his evaluation for at least another year. Well, we don't trust Chip. It's just yeah, he's going to be making the. He's going to be making the decision one way or the other, and, and we're guessing it's not going to be a great decision. I want to I want to talk about this poverty program bit you just talked about for a second. So I think you're you're spot on. We are trying to run very clean books with very clean accounting here, and it's holding us back here. And I'm not saying UCLA should be cooking the books by any means, but. I think in modern accounting, modern business, there are ways 
to punt some things down the road to make uh, money available in the current term, especially when you know there is future revenue coming in very soon and a big chunk of of future revenue. Why we don't do that, I think some of the reasons you you just talked about um, new chancellor coming in, you know, there's a lot of eyes on this, but I think there's a little bit of aspect of a laziness going on here as well. And it applies to them trying to get creative with the accounting, but also the other way to offset this is go to the donors, go to the boosters, really go fundraise. And it does not seem like this program Martin Jarman, Josh Rebholtz, all of our uh, AD staff does not seem like they want to go do the hard work to do that right now. Whether that was to raise the money to fire Chip, whether that was to raise the money to retain Danton Lin. All of these things are not easy to do. I am not discounting this as, hey, they should have just gone and grabbed some money and we would be good. I, I yeah, fully... but, but like you don't get paid for that, right? Like other people right. do. I don't get paid for that. Martin Jarman gets paid over $1 million, almost $1.5 million a year to do that. So for him not to draw, shake that tree a little bit harder, I think is very frustrating for UCLA fans because... That is what he's being paid a lot of money to do, and it seems like he took a little bit of the easy way out here, and that's on him. And I never thought I'd be saying this, <laughs> looking back, you know, three, four, five years ago. I think that was an underrated thing that Dan Guerrero was able to do, is Dan Guerrero, for all of his faults, and I'm not saying he was a good athletic director, but he was able to schmooze donors and boosters for money in times where you thought that it was impossible. And and a good example was the Poly Pavilion rebuild. I mean, think about when he was getting money for that re- renovation. It was like 09 to 2010 post Ben Howlin, you know, three final four runs. It was after even the Drew Holiday year. And UCLA basketball was in bad shape at that point. I mean, this was the Bobo Morgan, Reeves Nelson circus going on. You know, Jeremy Bobo. Anderson stealing laptops on campus. Like, it was a, a complete disaster. And Dan Guerrero, to his credit, was able to somehow secure millions and millions and millions of dollars to get that thing renovated. And And... Again, I am in shock that I'm saying this, but I think we did not give him enough credit for for some of the the donor relations that he was able to actually uh, achieve during that time. I I mean, first, I I guess when you compare something to nothing, then you're something, and that's kind of what we're doing right now, right? (laughs) Um, So true. there's, There's multiple sides to this uh the first thing is that you know it i mean it's come out in the various reporting right chips buyout is actually still nine million dollars um there's not really a set date that it it goes down um one thing i think you can give credit to dan guerrero is that when the 
the dumpster did catch fire. He did, like we said, we, he made the change, but he also got the ducks in a row to make the change. Um, so when Jim Mora was fired, he got everyone on board to go ahead and pay the big money to get Jim Mora out. Um, whenever it came time to fire, Ben Howland was someone who, who did have deep, deep ties here, right? Uh, and a lot of got goodwill. Was ti- and, and, and when it was time to make changes, he got the ducks in a row, got the administration on board, et cetera, et cetera, and he made the change. Uh, this one, I think, like, it's been reported, oh, we're likely to fire Chip Kelly, and then, oh, wait, we don't know, and then now, like, oh, he's coming back. The only thing you could, that you can make sense of there is that someone wanted to make a change, not everyone was on board and you let the cat out of the bag before you got everyone together. And now like, it looks like the dumpster fire that actually is. Um, so that's like one part of this. The other part that I just can't, I, I really just can't come to grips with this. Why is there a buyout? Like what did Chip Kelly do to deserve a $9 million? Like first off any buyout, but if you want to accept that there is an industry standard that, there has to be some buyout uh, involved. Where did we get the number nine million from? Like, what in what world did Chip Kelly earn a nine million dollar buyout tag? And what like candy cane lawyer read this thing to think that like we would be free of him in December uh, versus what we're doing right now? Um, like that's like step one to all. Because if that's not there then pretty much you're starting from scratch. Like, you're going to pay a football coach no matter what next year. You, you, you're you paying Chip Kelly $6 million next year. If you didn't have to pay the additional money to buy out him and the rest of the coaches, then you'd be good to go. But, you know, that's that's adding, like, another nine plus whatever it costs to, to fire the whole staff, right? Um, and then you also have to then think about because of the whole dumpster fire you have, you have players to retain and so on and so forth. So... Before we even, you know, get to the stuff about, you know, the like the school's financial situation and, you know, can this can the athletic department take a loan from UCLA with future projections of Big Ten money and all that stuff? Like the first question is just like, why are you even in that situation? Like what what kind of negotiation did you really undertake? Well, there's there's the, the amount and then you you hinted at this. The date. <laughs> Nobody seems to know when the buyout actually reduces or what it reduces to. It's so bizarre. And I just, I don't understand it, right? When you are at a school or a part of a, a school, an institution that has t- a top tier law school, a top tier business school, you would think that you can leverage some of that, leverage some of those minds that are within your hemisphere to actually draw some of this up. Like I, it's so strange to me that they, they didn't think any of this through or even look at this contract any close more closely than they clearly did because it just seems like they, they were like, yeah, we're going to give them an extension, which at the time, you know, I think we were all uneasy with, but we kind of had to, but then the extension included this wild buyout and with really no end in sight until the contract ends. What, what, who, who looked at this? Like, I just don't yeah, get it. Not, it the only and, person and who wins the thing in I this. I think that's really frustrating for, 
that maybe isn't being talked about as much, but but really it's it's, it's frustrating because you wouldn't even need to be in this situation because again, like it's not as if paying a football coach isn't on the budget for next year. It's on the budget and it's not a small amount. Um, you know, you could probably go find a coordinator uh, at an up and coming program that you feel good enough about for less than that. Um, and you don't have to give them a big buyout. You don't have to give them a whole lot. So like, there's not a whole lot of risk there. Uh, you could probably go ahead and do that. Um, and I want to just also like bring this up, you know, David Woods, Bruin Report Online, he does the podcast of champions on a weekly basis. Uh, he does another podcast uh, for his site. Um, and he brought this up, right? Which is any program anywhere that is halfway serious uh, about meeting their expectation. And, and what that means is different in each place, right? Um, you have the tier of schools that want to, be in the playoff and compete for the national championship. You have a tier of schools that just want to be nationally relevant, but just relative to your expectation, you're either like meeting or exceeding that expectation or you're firing your coach every four years. Um, like you, and, and generally speaking at a power five school, what that means is like you're winning 70, 70 to 75% of your games or you're firing the coach every four or five years. And that's, just generally speaking, how the economics of the sport work now. Um, and it's for the reasons we're talking about, right? Uh, when you fire a coach, you galvanize the fan base with a new coach, and then you get your ticket sales up, and then you get your donors up, and maybe that coach is better with the donors than the previous one. Um, and then if he went based on how he wins or loses, you fire him, fire that person again in five years. Um, and, and that's just, that's how every major athletic department that is halfway serious about winning does things the ones that don't do that are okay with going three and nine um is ucla okay with going you know three and nine and six and six they say uh, they aren't they say they aren't but like you know you this is how you operate when you're like oh well it's okay we went seven and five and maybe we want a bowl game go eight and five and next year when we go three and nine it's like oh that's the rebuilding season not this one um that's the the form that we're kind of operating in and that's even if you're trying to be economically responsible and trying to be running a fiscally conservative athletic department, the way to do that is actually by firing the coach. It's not by keeping him um, because that's the way that you boost the, the money flow again. It's, it's not by continuity of mediocrity. Right. We're, we're running over dollars to pick up pennies here. I mean, we're thinking so short term, like, oh, we can't afford this right this second. When in reality, we're going to lose more money in the long term because of this decision than we would if we just fired and paid X millions of dollars, which is, again, dumb, but it is what it is. And then to your point, pull in a new guy, galvanize the fan base a little bit, get donor uh, money flowing, and we'll be in a much better spot. Now we're going to be sitting again, and we've we've said this for weeks on end now, next season... We're going to have like zero fans in the stadium. And, you know, I, I did. And again, this is the cynical part of me. I feel like the athletic department has kind of betted all on the fact that we are going into the Big Ten next season and that actually attendance will not suffer as badly or will actually maybe even go up a little bit because there's going to be opposing fans showing up to the stadium. Not UCLA fans. Like, we might have a bunch of Big Ten fans every game that actually boost our attendance a little bit, and they're kind of betting on that, which 
fine financially makes sense part of being in the big 10 but that is sad if you're hoping that attendance goes up because your opposing team's fans are showing up more than your own because i don't think ucla fans are going to show up next season especially if they lose this bowl game like we lose this bowl game which we'll get to in a minute I I and I feel like I say this every week. We cannot get any any further cratered than we are today as we speak. But if we lose this bowl game, like we have cratered to the core of the earth at this point. Yeah, what the athletic department risks doing because right now we talked about this last week. UCLA's fan sport is not Nebraska, right? Would be ninety thousand or whatever the number is, doesn't show up week to week to watch a failing team. Um, it doesn't happen for anybody in Los Angeles. But you are getting a solid, you know, forty to 45,000, maybe even 50,000 people coming out here week after week to watch a bad product. Uh, so, like, we're seeing the diehards right now come out. And what the athletic department's doing right now is basically telling the fans and, like, these fans who are, despite everything, showing up there, um, your opinion doesn't matter. And that's, I think, the point at which you risk actually losing the fan base. Uh, I mean, that, that's the point at which fans are what makes this thing go, all right? Like, just generally speaking, the sport... Uh, sports in general exists because yes you have the ecosystem of players and coaches and such to put a product out there but you have fans that consume it and pay lots and lots of money to either go to games or watch it on tv or consume a lot of media that sits around it podcasts youtube all that stuff right it's why we're here right now it's why we're here right now and the the core set of the ucla fan base it's crazy to think that like it could get lower than what it is but it can um and and the athletic department probably believes that like hey these are the crazies that are coming out for this thing and so they'll come out for for whatever product we put out there and i think that you can do that for i think an extra year but that was this year right so like you had several bad seasons you had a kind of all right season last year this year again a bad season so you, you can do that for, like, one or two bad years, but under Chip Kelly, we've had, like, five of them. Um, and, and that's when this gets dangerous. Look, uh, I think they've, they have miscalculated this from a UCLA fan base perspective immensely. Like, again, anecdotal. You look on Twitter. You look on, on message boards. You look at, you know, the fan chatter. And you see kind of across the board and we actually ran a poll and it was like we had over 400 people polled uh, on Twitter. 90 percent, 90 percent wanted him fired. Right. Amongst those 90 percent, a good number. And and if you look at the comments on our poll, you look at the the kind of uh, chatter back and forth. There's a lot of season ticket holders in there that have had season tickets for 20 plus years. Some of them are familial season tickets that, you know, their parents have had season tickets and they got season tickets. And people are outwardly saying, I will be, I'm canceling my tickets after 25 years. I will not be going to games anymore. Well, you might be one of them. I, I, uh, I do not think I will be going to any games next season. And I'm as diehard as they come. I have been to some really stupid yeah, look at games. Us. We're over here. 
Yeah, right, right. Uh, and it it pains me to say that. Like, I don't want to not go to games. I love going to the Rose Bowl. I love tailgating there. I love being there. But if the school is telling me they don't care about me being there, we don't care about how we're going to support this program when I've been supported it for so long, where other fans have supported it for so long. If they're not going to put that equal amount of effort into it, then... Uh, I don't see any reason to go until there's a change made here. And I, I like I, we said earlier, we keep saying next season will be the final final uh, domino to fall, but I don't know. Like I, I, let's 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 talk about the LA Bowl for a second in this context. It is closer to campus than the Rose Bowl is. I'm not going. Uh, I'm not going to go to that game. I, I think a lot of fans are going to opt out of it. They're cheap seats. Um, but I just, I don't think there's enough interest for people to go to this game. They just don't care. The Starco LA Bowl, sponsored by a Gronk. Not, not interesting. Yeah, so now we get to the football side of this. Um I think this week we expect some players to opt out. Uh, I, I'm not personally expecting Liatu Latu to play in this game nope. or some others who are probably going to have some NFL hopes uh, upcoming here. So on the football side, we're going to be missing a lot of that. Um, Boise State themselves, their starting quarterback, uh, I think, has also entered the transfer portal, and I think they're they're down to, like, their third quarterback in this game, just the way that the depth chart depth chart shakes out. So, uh, <clears throat> hey, like, if that stuff is all true, then Chip's got a chance to to take this one home. But I have no idea what UCLA's roster is going to look like. We have no idea what the defensive coaching staff is going to look like uh, by the time we get there. And hey, like, it's still a whole twelve days away, um, which is insane to think about. Like, we're playing a bowl game in like twelve days which is really crazy. Um, we just still don't know who's going to be on the roster for the game. So, yeah, I mean, it's not going to be very interesting. And and to, to take this back to, like, the football standpoint of, like, you know, what it means to do all this right now, um, to get – to be better and, com- like, slightly competitive in the Big Ten next year, uh, it, it looks like, you know, Ethan Garbers is going to be the starter next season. Uh, UCLA's offensive line was maybe like after Colorado, um, the wor- maybe one of the worst starting Power Five offensive lines. USC is pretty bad. SC's was pretty bad, but I think this is where I'm coming around to that. Um, USC is a great case study in how it goes to just try to shove a bunch of transfer offensive linemen together, because um, it's hard. Uh, offensive line is probably like. If you go to the top like national title contenders, they're all looking for offensive linemen to like that one last offensive lineman to plug in there and do well. So, of all the the, the positions in the transfer portal, there's probably about five to ten that actually can help uh, a, a major Power Five team achieve at the level that they want to. UCLA needs like five of those because none of these guys are good enough right now. Um, I, I don't think both the tackles are like are. are anywhere near uh, what they need to be in the Big Ten. Um, Interior offensive line, same deal. So, you know, 
and then let's go that that, that one kind of goes to the other right quarterback to offensive line Ethan Garbers is he going to be the only quarterback on the roster next year or are you going to try to bring in a transfer because uh, if this is the offensive line you can't trust that Ethan Garbers is going to stay healthy the whole year next year like we saw what it was it's not safe um, so this is the kind of hole that I think you're putting yourself in and then on the other side uh, you're losing basically everyone you got to hire a new defensive coordinator and this isn't basketball so when Steve Alford had that terrible season in 2015 and it was very clear right at that moment this guy is in over his head he is he is not qualified for this he could go and get the number one point guard in the country Lonzo Ball who was a transcendent player and have an amazing season the next year you can't do that in football it, it takes time to build a roster to build a culture and the longer you go at this the harder that's going to be um, so you know the bowl game we'll see what the roster looks like but I'm not holding my breath and if this keeps going the way it's going it's going to be even worse after that yeah it's it's bleak. Everything's bleak. Um, you know, we haven't even talked about Dante Moore. Oh, boy. I mean, you know, we, we talked about it last week. He's going to be a prime candidate for a transfer portal. We'll see where, where he ends up. Um, if he does indeed put his name in. And I think, like, the day or two after we, we um, release that episode, lo and behold, he's in the transfer portal making some very, very scathing remarks, by the way. I mean, if you read his statement in, in the first interview he did with uh, 247, he talks about development. He wants to go to a place that uh, will develop him. He says that like three or four times, which is a damning statement. He also mentions he wants to go somewhere where they'll bring in talent around him. You know, and then you look at the statements that his dad makes hey, we want a place that has an offensive line that can protect him. Makes perfect sense. And, you know, I the the dialogue around Dante Moore, it, it really feels like a lot of sour graping from a lot of UCLA fans. Yes, he was not good this year. Let's, there's no, no pulling punches there. Like, he was not a good quarterback this season. He was a turnover machine. You know, he didn't have good pocket feel. He wasn't able to move around. All that is all very, very, very true. You look at the context of this, though, where he's getting pummeled. Play after play after play. Really no time to throw. And we know he excels at you know deeper throws. He has a great arm talent. He has a, a good arm. And Chip Kelly is calling plays to suit that arm talent, but doesn't have the offensive line to protect that arm talent. You can imagine what is going through his head at this point. He wants to throw the ball as quickly as he can, regardless of where a receiver is or where he's throwing it. Because if he doesn't, he's probably getting put on his ass at that point by three D linemen and a linebacker, and maybe somehow a safety is in there too, because our offensive line cannot protect. So yes, <clears throat> he did not play well, but our offensive scheme didn't suit him. Didn't try to take advantage of his strengths. Our offensive line could not protect him. They could not protect anybody. There is a reason why we had two quarterbacks out by the last game. I mean, Ethan Garbers goes out. Colin Schley was already out. There is a reason why uh, Dante Moore had to jump in there. And, you know, I think did Chip Kelly maybe throw him in there before he was ready? Yes, probably. You know, 
Should he have stuck with him? Yes, maybe. I don't know. May let him develop a little bit more. But it's very, very hard to develop a quarterback when they're getting destroyed every play. Like, I, I don't care who you throw back there. You're getting hit. You just, what are you going to do? Um, and so I, I, for one, am bummed he is leaving. I fully understand why he's leaving. I do not blame him one bit. He should leave. He should go to a school that can keep him upright and develop him. And we yeah, clearly so are not that school. His dad's specific remarks, remarks I think, just kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. Um, and I'm paraphrasing, but not really. He basically said this. Uh, we want to go to a place where they actually recruit. <laughs> Like amazing, and he goes on to say, specify like they got to have a trench front line. But is there anything better to encapsulate like what we as the fans have been feeling? Um, like if you're Dante Moore's parents, parents sitting back out there, you probably heard this stuff during the recruiting process, right? From like people because people talk, and and so I'm sure they heard. Uh, UCLA, oh, uh, well, UCLA, they don't recruit. Um, Chip Kelly doesn't recruit, so, like, you're not going to uh, have certain things there. And, and, and you know, everyone negative recruits, so they end up going to UCLA. But now they probably saw it happen live with their own eyes. Yeah, there is uh, the people that they recruited and developed through high school and brought up, because those are the guys who really started this year, right? Um, they're no good, and they didn't find transfers and whatnot. So, they saw firsthand that, you know, offensive line is an area that we're not getting the right players in and we're not developing them very well. Um, and the other side to this is, you know, like you said, sour grapes from UCLA fans. Uh, look, five-star quarterbacks, like, they're that guy in high school. Um, they come with a lot of cachet because they have earned that. Um, and, 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 look, we can – we can debate whether it's healthy for kids to get that much attention and all that stuff. Um, but let's just accept for a second that like when it comes to getting five-star players, it comes with a certain level of cachet and it comes with a certain level of drama that's associated with that. And so you know that when you take in a guy like Dante Moore. Um, I personally got major DTR freshman year and sophomore year vibes watching him this year where there's games, especially early on in the year, where you're like, all right, wow, there's a lot of talent. We said it right here. Like, uh, we're probably going to be looking for a new quarterback in two, in, in two years um, because the way he was looking early on, it looked like we would probably be seeing an NFL guy in three years. Um, but especially when we got to conference play, it was clear that Chip Kelly had a set of things that he wanted to do, not what was good for the player, not what was good based on the – the talent he had on the field he just had specific things that he wanted to do and he was going to do them come high or hell hell or high water um refused to run the ball when it was a good running team kept throwing like those same passes over the middle that he was clearly not very good at right those looky quick three-step slants that he kept throwing interceptions on and it's clear like hey he's not good at this Find some, if you want to throw quick passes, find something else because like he's throwing pick six after pick six on the same exact play like every week. And and again, it's it's kind of what we did to DTR early on. Um, you know, he had legs, we didn't use him. 
Dante Moore, he's more of a deep ball thrower. What's a great way to, to throw the deep ball? Well, I think it's to run the ball and then build off of play action. Move him out of um, the pocket once in a while, maybe. Move him out of the pocket once in a while. So I don't blame Dante Moore. Um, you know, again, I, it looks like he's going to value development uh, coming up next. He wants to go to a place that's where he's going to get better. Uh, and, and, and credit to him because... I, I don't think it was going to work at UCLA. Uh, he may have a lot of talent, but it was not going to work here because, like we talked about, our offensive line, I, I don't see it magically transforming next year uh, unless we find, like, five new bodies that are, like, all plug-and-play. Uh, and you know, we're going to lose some skill players too. So I don't see how that gets better, uh, and he probably saw the same thing. Uh, I'm I'm gonna predict this right now. I think in like two years, maybe not next season. Season after that, we're gonna see Dante Moore starting for a team that is in the conversation for the playoff. At least at the bare minimum in the national conversation somewhere. Um, I, I I do think he has that kind of talent, and if he lands at the right place that can help foster that talent, then the world is his oyster. Um, and I, again, I wish him the best. I hope he goes off somewhere and does great things um, because he doesn't deserve that. And and the, the whole narrative that he's, you know, came in and was lazy and didn't fight through adversity and, you know, didn't work hard. Like, I... I did not see or hear anything about that until he chose to transfer, right? Like, come on, guys. Just grow up. He, From all accounts, he was a good teammate. He was trying to learn. He was put in the work. Like, I, it's he just was not in a good situation, and it's fine. It didn't work out for UCLA, and it's not Dante Moore's fault. It's UCLA's fault. Um, so again, wish him the best. Hope he, he hope he um, blossoms elsewhere. Um, it will be very poetic if he ends up at a Big Ten team and ends up destroying us for the next three years. But such as such as football life at UCLA. Um, the other guy we didn't talk about, Ryan Gunderson, uh, the QB coach, is out. He has bounced to Oregon State as their offensive coordinator, which could have played a factor in, in Dante Moore um, transferring since Gunderson was his coach, probably helped recruit him. I don't know if that, that was any sort of factor at all, but he's gone. So we don't even have a QB coach, and now we have uh, five other guys in the transfer portal uh, as of today. I think William Nimmo, the safety, um was the latest person to jump in there um you know we've had a few other folks in there we've talked about even last week i think the biggest surprise for me so far this and it's not even don timor um carson ryan transferring was a little bit of a of a gut punch just because he played so well he played a lot was featured a lot um in this this Chip Kelly offense, that one kind of sucked too. Frankly, like you have a guy that did so well here, and for him to say I'm out, good for him. Hope he lands somewhere more successful. But that one that one definitely hurt a little bit as well. 
Yeah, and we'll see. I mean, this is, Transfer Portal just opened today, uh, and this is the week where we're going to hear about a lot of stuff. Uh, you know, bowl game deflections, more d- transferring out, uh, and we're also probably going to hear, hey, uh, is there actually any hope? Th- these donors that are staking their lives on Chip Kelly, are they actually going to buck up and, and support? So, you know, it, un- unfortunately, the, uh, d- the dumpster fire will live on and uh, either, like, really explode this week uh, or stay where it's at. So we'll, we'll do a preview of Boise State, of the L.A. Bowl, in a couple weeks. But I do want to ask you this. If we lose this game... Do we do we do we get to fire Chip Kelly at that point? Do you think that forces folks to realize this cannot go any longer? It's late to the game, obviously at that point. Uh, but is better late than never this season. Better than not firing him. I mean, the the best time to fire a coach that's failed was yesterday. And the second best time to do it is today. So um, now, would that actually happen? I, I, I just I find it hard to believe. Like, what would we see in this game that would be a surprise? Like, because like we could go and lose. Like, unless we lost fifty to nothing, right? Uh, like something crazy like that. What would we learn in this game that we don't already know? Um, that the powers that be at UCLA haven't already seen. Um, I mean, the same can be are... said for next season, though. Right. Uh, but, but I, yes, and there is still, I would say, some bust potential for next season. Um, like, really getting a, a bad overall record. In this case, I think the powers that be at UCLA are hoping, like, hey, we can go 8-5 and five and they can sell that whole dream of, like, oh, it's only the, I don't know the number, what, the 10th or 11th or whatever like eight plus win season uh, that we've had I don't know what the actual number is because I don't no one counts that stuff Uh, but if we lose they're probably thinking uh, okay well uh, we won seven and six in a year that we lost a lot from last season and we hope to kick on next year I I don't see it any other way Um, maybe they prove me wrong I hope they prove me wrong yeah, I mean, <clears throat> my only hope is that some of these donors look at that game if they lose and they say, okay, <laughs> maybe we, we misjudge this. Uh, we need to make a move now rather than later. I don't know. That's that's me being slightly optimistic. I, I think no UCLA will, will lose this game by like 30 to a bunch of backups at Boise State under a, a new head coach. And UCLA will somehow extend Chip Kelly for like $30 million or something stupid with no buyout. It will be interesting to see, because again, we got to see on both sides who plays, who doesn't, who transfers, especially a school like Boise State. It's probably going to be open season there if you're a good player because you probably want to try to take a step up um, as as a player to a high major school. Uh, So we got to see who plays, who doesn't, whatnot. But, But on the UCLA side, would be really telling to see what how, how the players go out and are motivated to, to, to play uh, and try to win the game uh, for this coaching staff um, in the midst of transfer portal and everything that's going on. It would, I think, be very telling. 
I mean, what needs to be told at this point? We saw it at Cal. Yeah, you're right. Nobody played for anybody. No, uh, not for the coaching staff, at least. Now, you know, the, the one coach that was kind of keeping the ship sailing in a decently right direction is gone. Those players don't have anybody to play for. Uh, don't have a coach really motivating them. I mean, I guess Ken Norton Jr. is my expected uh, interim defensive coordinator or you know to step up and kind of help lead that charge and you know by all accounts he's been super energetic and doing a pretty good job at his position coaching uh, duties but still I mean look I I have no inside information on this but I'm almost certain Latu is not going to play I think he said today that he is going to make that decision with his family I would be completely shocked if he played this game. I don't think he should play this game. I think it's a meaningless bowl game uh, that he should not risk playing in to uh, go in the top five of the NFL draft. Like He should sit out. I think the Murphys are probably going to sit out if I understand correctly. It sounds like that's the way they will probably lean, but I don't know for sure. Uh, I think we're not going to have a D-line, essentially, in this game. We're, I don't even know who's going to be quarterback in this game. We obviously don't have an O-line. It's, it's just... It's going to be a very depleted roster. But on the flip side, you know, a lot of Boise State, I think, is also going to be depleted. Like you said, their, their starting quarterback is transferring. But we saw this story last year against Pitt. Do you remember the, the storylines all around Pitt? It was like, oh... This should be a cakewalk. All of their best players are either sitting or transferring. Uh, we should roll over them. No problem. And look how that turned out. So, again, no game is a cakewalk. Uh, you know, their coach, new coach, Spencer Danielson, he seems like he's very liked by this this roster. And it sounds like... These guys might show up for him and support him and play for him because, you know, to some degree, there is some continuity here. So, you know, who knows what Boise State's going to look like? I don't know, but I, I, I can almost guarantee I think UCLA is going to be very depleted and unmotivated. That's that's my prediction. And I, I hope I'm wrong, but we will see uh, in, a, in a couple weeks. All right, can we can we move on? <laughs> Honestly, last week was a brutal week for UCLA fans because I know we're we're gonna switch gears to to basketball a little bit right now, but that also did not really give us any reprieve. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, tough watch that one was. Uh, that was fingernail biting. That 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 was definitely unnecessary let's 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 call it like that um so so first off credit to dylan andrews um and and credit for to ucla for just for winning the game uh we we talked about it at at various points in this early season the last thing you want to do with such a young team like this is lose one of these kind of games Uh, you don't want to get a quad four loss on your resume that is something that's really hard to recover from um now that said, uh, 
because UC Riverside is a quad four team, and and it, look, it's early to look at this stuff. But it, we did take a tumble in in all the all the different ranking systems. So we we're now a hundred uh, under a hundred. We're a hundred and third in the net rating. Um, we took a tumble into like I think the forties and Ken Palm, um, and and ample time to make all that up. Right, it's n- nothing to to really freak out about right now. Seven but, games in. Right, seven games in, but like, you know, that that kind of result against UC Riverside, that's the effect that it has. Now, we won the game. Um, D- Dylan Andrews, credit to him for for taking and making that last shot. Uh, that w- that was big time, and he was big time in the game. Um, I think there's a couple of takeaways. Obviously, we got to look at the injuries. Um, Bearke Buktunjil, it looked like he was coming on. Like getting comfortable with his footwork, getting comfortable under the basket, uh, and then of course you know goes down in the middle of the game. Uh, Sebastian Mack, that was probably I think his first experience struggling uh, in a college game, uh, and he also at the end reaggravated a, a toe injury, uh, so that was unfortunate. I think my main takeaway from this game is a, is a couple of things. Uh, I am this close to being done with this two-center lineup uh, because I don't think it in the current constitution of this team, the the, the the negatives far outweigh any positives, right? So you play a big lineup if you think that you can have a major rebounding advantage uh, and you can impose your size on offense in particular, and, and you understand that you're probably going to be giving up some foot speed, uh, and some defensive uh, ability there because of that. Having a Dembona and a Daimara in the game at the same time is not a good rebounding combination. A his strength is not at the point where he's a good rebounder at this level right now. Um, and, and, and given that they're also probably going to have to play with the likes of you know Dylan Andrews and Lazar Stefanovic, who, um, you know, Sebastian Mack, he grabbed five rebounds this game. Um, but that... Those aren't probably the, the rebounding guards of UCLA. The rebounding guards of UCLA is Will McClendon. It's Alain Fabloy. Um, even Brandon Williams, a solid solid rebounder. So as long as it's Mara and Bona, uh, I'm close <clears throat> to being out on this one at, at this point in time. The other thing to it is Bona, he, he, he's rushing right now. Uh I think he's putting a lot of pressure on himself to be the focal point of the team, uh, to be the focal point of scoring. Mick, that whole thing that he did the, the first game of the season, uh, you know, pass the ball to a Dembona and, and you'll play. Uh, right now he looks sped up. And, and, and he never was last year. Uh, he never looked like a guy where you just throw the ball to him and he's a bucket. Uh, he's a guy that gets his points off energy. He gets his points um, he can score out of the post. Should he be the guy that you just consistently try to drop it down to? Not sure. And then Adai Mara, um, his strength right now is is one where, like, when he gets the ball in position, he's shown flashes of having a great offensive game, of great finishing ability, but just catch, simple things like catching the ball, dribbling, um, holding on to the ball are, are like, it, are things that that right now at this level he's not able to do well enough to play him the amount of minutes I think that we want to play him. So that I think right now is my biggest takeaway. Now Bearke being in the game I think changes everything because he has shown the ability to 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 guard um, perimeter players 
and and still switch and, and things like that. But Bone on Mara together, um, I'm close to the being done with this one soon. So I'm done with that. <laughs> I am done with it. I think it's not working. And then you throw Kenny uh, Nuba in there. Yeah, when, the Kenny when, and Bona thing. Yeah, that that's double whammy on both sides. Oh, right? it's 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 horrendous. They should never be on the court together like that ever. Uh, there's just everything's broken when they're both on the court. But that being said, um, you know, I totally agree with you on on Bona. He's playing sped up. He's you know. He's committing really stupid fouls in the process of being sped up. And and a lot of them are silly offensive fouls where he's just rushing and doing, you know, throwing an arm or just running into guys. And that is what, you know, we thought we saw him kind of mature out of by the end of last season. But it doesn't seem to have taken hold this season yet. And, and I think your analysis is correct. He's still trying to figure out how to be that go-to guy and he's trying really hard but in the process he's committing fouls and that is not helping anybody i actually liked some stuff out of mara in this game i thought he rebounded a little bit better he had some tough rebounds he looked like he was getting a little bit more comfortable on offense um you know that little hook i think he rushed him a little bit but he settled in in the second half um, and played tough there. So that was good to see him kind of grow it up a little bit. The other guy, actually, I, you know, he didn't score as much, but uh, Sebastian Mack, I thought, played a pretty good game in terms of distributing the ball. Uh, and this is the first time I can remember where he was driving into the lane and kind of keeping his head up a little bit more, looking around to make the pass. Um, so he was driving and dishing a little bit more. And I think he had five assists uh, tied with Dylan in this game. That is something that I would love to see from him more because when he goes downhill, you know, defenses collapse on him and he, he, he sometimes drives into like four defenders. And if he can learn how to kick it out to somebody who's wide open, then I think that will be uh, a really good development in his game. The other guy we haven't mentioned yet, Will McClendon in that second half came up huge. I mean, he was like a flamethrower out there um, from three. And he's been up and down this season a little bit. But it feels like he's getting into a little bit of a three-point shooting groove. Now, he's not a guy who can shoot a contested three. We're not ever going to, you know, let him, you know, dribble and, and try to shoot a three. But we can get him open. We can scheme him open. And get him the ball, like when Sebastian Mack drives in, I, he can shoot those, I think now it feels like at a pretty consistent clip. Get him an open look and he'll probably hit. And and I think that's a good weapon to start uh, developing uh, sooner rather than later. Um, and it's good to see his confidence up a little bit. And, and I think, you know, he does all the little things that he doesn't get a lot of credit for rebounding, playing decent defense. But if we can actually get him to be, and we've been saying this over and over again, and it feels like it's starting to come true, less of a liability on on offense, then that'll be really, really big for this team. What we don't like, or what I did not like about this team, or this game, was the defense. I mean, we switched. Basically what UCR did was they forced switches until they got a matchup they liked and then just drained threes. And we knew that coming into this game, that was a scouting report on UCR, was that they shoot a ton of threes. And 
that's what they did. And we just couldn't close them out. We were slow to rotate. We were, you know, over switching at times. We over helped inside and collapsed when anybody drove down, which left multiple three point shooters open. Um, and give UCR credit. I mean, they they stepped up. They played hard, and they hit those threes at a very, very high clip. Uh, and that is a, a recipe for disaster for a team like UCLA right now, who's who's young. But give give the Bruins credit. They came out on top and won, even though it was uh, by a point. It was a frustrating win, obviously. The other factor we didn't even mention in this game was Mick Cronin wasn't there. Uh, you know, Darren Savino had to step in for Mick. Mick had COVID last week, uh, so he he was not coaching. And you know, I by all accounts, Darren Savino is supposed to be a very good coach. Mick Cronin obviously respects him a lot, and and he's been with Mick for a very very long time. And Mick's always hyping him up to be a head coach at some point. You know, regardless of his coaching chops, just not having your head coach there, not having that energy <laughs> that Mick brings to the court, I think uh, just hurts this team, especially a young team. I think that they feed off of his intensity and his energy. And we saw that a little bit in this game where we slacked off a little bit. We didn't play up to par. We played down to our our, our competition here and... I'm willing to bet that there's a little bit more energy in this team when you know that your head coach is sitting there looking at you, screaming at you, and calling you out. Um, and not to say they don't respect Darren Savino, but I think that relationship's just a little bit different. And and I think that, that does play a factor in this game. Not that it's an excuse, but it's still something to consider when you, you look at this game. But at the end of the day, again, they won. We should throw that tape away and never look at it again because uh, it was brutal. It was really ugly. And now we just hope and pray that Burke and uh, Sebastian Mack are okay because if they are uh, out for extended uh, time at all, it's going to be, be a tough one because we're going into to Villanova on Saturday at 4 PST. Um, and Villanova, again, they've struggled a little bit this season, but they definitely have the ability to beat UCLA, especially in their home court. And the, we, need, we need these wins now. We need to build our resume up before we get into Pac-12 play. And without Berkey, without Sebastian Mack, that just becomes significantly tougher. Um, from what I've seen around Berkey, He's apparently walking with a, uh, like a brace on his leg or on his um, ankle. It was an ankle injury that he suffered. So hopefully it's not too serious, but no idea if he's going to play it or not. And I'm not sure about Mac at all. I don't know if you've heard anything, Kevin, but sounds like it was an existing injury that he re-aggravated. But it didn't look good at the end. Like he had to get helped off. So that's never good. Yeah, uh, those would be massive losses. Uh, we've talked. I, I think Mac is pretty self-explanatory, right? Basically, our our best scorer right now. Um, and Berke to me is like getting him unlocked is the key to unlocking this entire team. 
because uh, the moment that that he can play up to par, I think everything will get better. Uh, but but and and he was starting to get there. You know, this is the kind of game that you needed Berke to get some rhythm in against Riverside, and he was doing it. And he, unfortunately, he got hurt. Um, I want to go back to Will McClendon real fast. Uh, he's shooting forty-two percent from three this year. Okay, so well, just, so so just just want to just want to put that out there. How many attempts does he have? It's close to three attempts. Okay. So. Uh, and, and by comparison, Dave Singleton, his senior year was the one where he shot like a lot. He, he had a really high number of, te- of attempts, but generally speaking, like the, the Will stat line, which is one point one for two point seven, uh, in terms of makes to attempts, is about the ratio that that Dave Singleton had uh, before like his senior season, where he was really dependent on. So. That's definitely a great start. Now, what it also means is, look, uh, like teams like Villanova and and Ohio State and such, they're not in the Pac-12, and so and they're they probably don't know that Will McClinton couldn't throw a pee in the ocean last year. So that on their scouting report, all they're going to see is forty-two percent Will McClendon, uh, and that's exactly what we want. Get that spacing out there on him, right? Uh, that that's exactly what we're hoping for. Uh, I'm curious to see over these next several games. So first up, like you said, we got to try to win the game against Villanova. We have no idea who's going to be available, so that's going to be important. Uh, I'm curious to see, can we get, do we get more of these like four guard lineups uh, with Villanova or with Mara? Because it's much more switch friendly. I think it'll take some pressure off of a Dembona too, because him running and chasing around perimeter players and then like getting over the backs and stuff is is, is adding to the foul problem right now. Um, so that can help. And our best rebounders again are guys like, you know, Will McClendon, Elon Fabloy. Um, Elon Fabloy has has been a pit bull uh, on on the glass whenever he's been in. So that's something to, to be interesting. Uh, this is not a tape that's going to go on the Darren Tavino for head coach uh, mixtape. Uh, the amount that we stuck with uh, Adai Mara in this game, um, the amount that we stuck with him while they were playing this complete five-out system, uh, wasn't wasn't smart, right? And the moment that we took him out uh, and and went to the five-guard lineup, and we didn't do that till like very close to the end of the game, um, we had much more success. So curious to see if we do that. Uh, Villanova's look. They've they've been up and down. They've they've lost. They've had some bad losses. Drexel this uh, week, right? Lost to Drexel this week. But they also did win their like preseason conference tournament, beating they the beat Bahamas. Texas Tech. They beat Memphis. They beat North Carolina. Um, and it's never going to be easy to go and play a Villanova team. You know they're going to play hard. They're you know they're going to play rough. Uh, so health, and then what level of focus and effort are we going to give? Um, is it the Marquette and Gonzaga level of effort, uh, or is it going to be the Riverside level of effort? Because this is a young team. Uh, wasn't surprising to me that we had we showed what effort we could give against the likes of Marquette and Gonzaga, and didn't do that against Riverside because that's just what a young team does. Yeah, uh, like I said, there there were a lot of factors into that, and we've been saying this since the very beginning, right? The, this growth of the team is not going to be linear. We're going to see these ups and downs and some lulls here and there it's not surprising it's obviously frustrating especially when it's ucr um 
and again, give them credit. They played a hell of a game, but it is still frustrating. But we're going to see these peaks and valleys, and hopefully by the time it matters, we uh, are a little bit, you know, in cruise control where we're, we're, we've leveled out. We know what to do. And the, the players know what to do. Because, you know, you, you can see them. They're still learning. The other guy, and, and because of that, I think what we need to make sure of is somebody needs to step up as a leader on this team. I, I don't think we have that kind of guy yet. You know, we were hoping that Dylan Andrews would be that guy early on. And maybe he's starting to step up in that. I, I like the way he played this game. He took 12 shots. He needs to be uh, scoring a lot more. He needs to be shooting a lot more. He had five assists. He distributed the ball here, played good defense. I mean, that's what we want to see from him, right? He should be, and he's always been a, a score first point guard. Um, but it's good to see him start distributing the ball a little bit. And he shot well from three in this game as well. He needs to be taking, you know, 12 shots a game. Like, he should not be in that, like, three, four, five shot range like he has been. So, hopefully, he's is starting to step up. Um, but aside from that, like, he needs to be a leader. He needs to be that vocal guy um, to help prop the team up. I know Lazar Stefanovic was kind of billed as that guy. Um, and I think he, he's been doing that. But, he again, he's also learning. I know he's a junior, but he hasn't been in this system. He doesn't know Mick Cronin's, um, you know, game plans as well as, you know, maybe Bona or Dylan Andrews do for having an extra season under Mick's system. So, you know, you would hope that Dylan steps up with Stevanovic um, as a, kind of those senior more not senior but more senior guys to help these young guys grow um even though they're they themselves are on the younger side or at least dylan is but that's that's what i'd like to see out of dylan kind of continuing on on this road trip is can he keep shooting the way he is and be a little bit more assertive on offense and can he become that uh that team leader that this team desperately needs but you know i think um the, the test just gets tougher here. I know we mentioned Villanova a few times, and we've we've mentioned they've struggled. They've been up and down. They lost to Drexel this week. But they have guys that are significantly experienced, like Dixon and Moore, who were on the team, what, two years ago now when Villanova came to town? Um, they have played a ton of basketball, and that is the continuity that, they, that Villanova has versus us. We don't have a lot of those guys. Um... And, you know, Dixon has been playing fantastic basketball this year. Moore has been a little bit up and down. And, and I think if we can, you know, limit him a little bit, that's where Villanova tends to struggle because then it's just um, Dixon kind of carrying the team and it's a little bit easier to stop. Yeah, Saturday night in, uh, in Philly uh, will be a fun game. It will be a fun game. Um, on the flip side, the women's team uh, went on the road again. They were playing Arkansas. Um, they were up big, for up 30 points at one point. Uh, there was a little mini collapse in the, <laughs> the second half there. I, I think a lot of fans were like, oh, no, what is going on here? Uh, and it looked like Corey Close called off the dogs a little bit, a little too soon kind of took the the foot off the gas pedal and, and Arkansas got into a little bit but ultimately ended up being a 
another comfortable 15, 16 point win uh, for the, the women's team. So they're, they're still cruising along undefeated number two team in the country. Um, they're looking great, man. Uh, I hopefully, hopefully they keep this up and Corey close kind of bury some of her, her demons from season past. Yeah, it's going to be a fun month. Uh, we got Florida state uh, in a couple games. We got Ohio state, and then the, the month ends uh, close to the new year against SC. Um, so a lot of high-profile games coming this month. So hopefully we keep going. Hopefully we do. Um, anything else? Are we missing anything? I think we're good. Cool. Uh, well, with that, we're going to go ahead and sign off. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Source. You can find this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else you can find podcasts. Again, please share with your friends, family, whoever is a Bruin fan. We would love for you to tune in, um, tweet at us, make fun of us, criticize us. We don't care. We're not going to listen to you uh, and change anyways. (laughs) Uh, You cannot convince us otherwise. Um, But yeah. Other than that, we will uh, hopefully catch you next week. And as always, go Bruins. Go Bruins.